0: Awesome. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Everybody good, man? How's the weather? Y'all liking this? I loved waking up. It was like 40 something degrees outside. It was fantastic. Um, It's it's a great time to be here at Central. Uh, My name is Clayton. And I am the senior pastor here at Central. If you're a guest with us, I'm so glad you're, you're here hanging out with us. If you're watching online, thank you guys for, for being a part of what we're doing here as well. Hey, I wanted you to, to do two things before we get started. One is to get the the notes for today. So you can take out your phone, your iPad, whatever, and scan the QR code with your with your camera, and you get the notes. Also, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to First John. That's where we're gonna we're gonna be today. So get the notes and turn to to First John um, as we begin this this new series. And so I just need to kind of um, air some laundry here a little bit. Uh, maybe it's a little TMI uh, time, but. um but uh, a couple weeks ago, I had, uh, had surgery, and so Noah preached for me, our student pastor preached for me last week, and so thank you, Noah, for for doing a great job. Uh, I, had, uh, I had hernia surgery right here, and, and when I was a, a teenager, I had surgery a couple times, and like, I mean, the next day, I'm good, you know, and let's just get back to life, and I'm 40 now, and... I'm still struggling um, to recover. It's been, it's been rough. And um, the first week, uh, I, I spent most of the time sitting on the couch or in bed, and my wife, Holly, was taking care of me. And so I had all this medication. I'm not on it right now, okay? Um, but I had all this high, highly potent uh, medication to help me. And um, Holly was, was giving it out to me. And, and there was uh, one moment where, and one day where uh, she told me, you know, make sure you're taking this medication. And so I took it, and I took it again. And, and then um, I said, do I need to take it again? She's like, no. We, we got confused, okay? And uh, so I went and grabbed the bottle, and I said, Holly, the bottle says I'm only supposed to take it this many times. And we had taken it more than, way more than that. And, uh, and uh, I, I kind of looked at her, and then I uh, looked at the TV. And, and Holly had been that week watching, like, these, these murder shows, you know? And I just had this thought, like, like. What's going on here, babe? Like, what's really happening? And, uh, of course, she just gave me a hard time about that. But uh, <laughs> I, I needed a third person in the room. And um, I'm here and survived. <laughs> and, no, honestly, my wife took care of me. It was great. But but I was thinking about this. Some of our favorite shows are those those murder shows, those crime shows, you know, where, like, the detective is trying to to figure out um, and solve the case. And it wasn't too long ago that, that it wasn't just those, those like crime shows, but it was, it was um, courtroom dramas, you know? And courtroom dramas were the thing where you had a, a trial and, and uh, you had those high stakes and you got the attorneys there and the witnesses and people's lives are on the line and you're watching it and trying to figure out, you know, who's, who's guilty or whatever. And, and I was thinking about that. I think that's a, a great opportunity for us to kind of practice that over the next couple of weeks. Because there's, there's, a, there's a truth and a reality that we need to all understand is that in our culture, Christianity is actually something that's always on trial. I mean, every year it becomes more and more difficult to live out the Christian life because it used to be in our culture that Christianity had this underpinning in our our society that Christianity is true. And if you're following it, then you're doing what is right in our culture. But it's actually flipped on its head. If if you don't recognize that, you've been like living under a rock, okay? It, it's it's flipped on its head where it's it's not so much that, but it's like that Christianity now is it's gotta, we gotta prove ourselves that we're true because the narrative now today is that it's actually it's false, that that it's fake, and that that you and I are, are frauds if we're believers in, in Christ. And Christianity is on trial in our society, but I also say that I believe Christianity is also on trial in, in our hearts. That we have, look, in a room this size, there's a number of people, I, I get it. There's probably skeptics in this room. There's probably doubters in this room. There's those that are watching online, online right now who maybe find themselves in that camp. There might be people that your belief has been shaken and you're questioning a little bit and wondering if everything you've put your life on, everything you've staked your life on, is it actually true? Well, I want to invite you to do something this week. In the next four weeks, we're going we're to look at Christianity and ask the question, is it true? And so we're going to actually get on the witness stand. Christianity is going to get on, on the witness stand and we're going to see, is it true. And I want to invite you to join like the, the jury pool, so to speak. And I want you to objectively hear the evidence. And I want you to draw your own conclusions about is Christianity true. So that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. And so if, if you're in that camp, if you feel like you're, you know, if you're a little skeptical, you got some doubts and, you know, you're just not sure about this whole thing, the next four weeks are, are for you. So let's look at some of the evidence. I mean, the best way to kind of do it is go all the way back to the very beginning of Christianity. Around 33 AD, um, something happened. Something crazy happened. We're not really sure exactly what happened. We, don't, we weren't there, but we're, we're looking at some, some witnesses and their testimony of what happened. But Jesus took the world by storm, and then all of a sudden he was gone. And his, his followers began to spread his, his message around. And they were telling the stories. And the, the word, the, the gospels, the Bible, uh, the New Testament in particular, it wasn't actually written like immediately after Jesus', um, Jesus time here on this earth. There were several years that, that went on, but before we actually got some of these eyewitness testimonies written down. And so we're not really sure why they didn't write it down at the very beginning. But in that culture, they probably you know, thought, hey, hey, this is how we, how we spread the messages we tell people in that culture. And so they, they would go and, and tell and share. And they'd tell it to their friends and anybody in public that would, they would listen and talk to their family. And they would spread that message. And it was also probably because they believed what Jesus said. They said, I am coming soon. Now, his definition of soon is a little bit different than, than maybe our definition of soon. It's like, hey, we don't have time. We don't have time to write all this down. We just got to go tell people. And so they did that for a couple years. And it lasted a little bit longer, a little bit longer. And time kept going on. And the church is beginning to spread. And they recognized that, you know what, maybe we need to write this stuff down. And so it wasn't just right after the the, the stories that happened, but but a year passed, another year, and maybe a decade or two passed. And they said, you know what, we got to write this down because the eyewitnesses are starting to die off. And we need to, people need to know after us, they need to know what actually happened. And so you have Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke. They write their, their gospels. Matthew was actually an eyewitness there. Uh, Mark was not an eyewitness. Uh, but he was, literally Mark's gospel, we believe, is, is Peter's eyewitness testimony. And then Luke he went around and got all the eyewitness testimony from people. And he was a doctor and like an investigator, and he brought all those together, and that's the gospel that we have um, for Luke. And then all these pastoral letters started um, spreading around um, throughout from from Paul and some other people, um, going around to all the different churches, and they were addressing some things. The gospels were addressing some things, and these pastoral letters, which we call the New Testament, they were addressing some things. They were addressing the doubters. They were addressing the skeptics. They were even addressing the people who had a, Ulterior motives to twist and change the message to suit their own desires. And as these eyewitnesses began to, to die off and pass away, the opposition to Christianity began to rise. And this in a the most basic way I, could, I could, could sum it up is this was what the opposition said. That this really isn't true and you can't prove that it is. Think about that. Just because you believe something doesn't make it true at all, guys. At all. And they said this, hey, this really isn't true, and you can't prove that it is. And there was these, these people that kind of rose up in these different societies as Christianity is spreading. They rose up in these societies that um, they said, you know what, hey, we're really smart, and we believe that we are more enlightened than everybody else, and we understand the secret to life. And so what they said is that, hey, you know, these scriptures, this, this, this really didn't happen, guys. We actually know what is true. These are the scriptures that are false and they're fake and they're frauds. And what, what we believe, our truth is, is what is actually true. Sound familiar, doesn't it? I mean, it really is like our, our culture today. We are, we are just replicating exactly what happened in the, the first century. And so the question for us, if you're a believer in Jesus in this room, the question for us is this, how can you prove that Christianity is true beyond you just saying, I believe that it's true? How can you prove that it's true? How can you defend your faith in the 21st century? Well, what we have to do is, this is what we're going to do over the next couple weeks, is we have to take our faith to trial. And we got to look at the evidence. And this morning, here's what we're going to do. We're going to call to the witness stand a really old dude. I mean, we're going to have to redo the stage, get the ADA ramp up in here, wheel him up on the stage, this old man who is the last surviving disciple, decades and decades after the stories happened. And we're going to hear from him today, and his name is John. His name is John. And in the first century, he had to listen to some accusations against him on the witness stand. And today, the world is saying those same accusations. And the accusation is this. You can't prove Christianity is true. Because, number one, there are no reliable eyewitness accounts. Where's the video evidence? Right? Right? There's no reliable eyewitness accounts. That's what the world says about Christianity. Hey, this is 2,000 years ago. You can't prove that it was true. And the same thing that people are saying about it today, they were saying about it back then. And so John, on the witness stand, steps up, and he is going to defend what he believes. And his defense, this is beautiful, his defense is actually his first letter to people. It's First John, Okay it's beautiful and over the next 4 weeks we're going to look at some of the evidence. And he wrote 1 John from this from the heart of a pastor. And he was concerned about the churches, and he was concerned about his people, and I'm concerned as well. And so I wanted to read what John actually said. So get your Bible's 1 John. We're going to be in the very first verse of chapter 1 and we're going to go over the 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 first 4 verses and kind of break them down today and look at that. But here's what He says at the very beginning, just think about these words. He said, This we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and we touched him with our hands. He is the word of life. That is profound. And what John is saying, he's saying, We were there. We heard him, we saw him. And we touched him. That's testimony of the senses. He said, hey, we actually can give evidence to those things. It's, it's, it's way different than conjecture. It's actually the opposite of conjecture. Conjecture is saying, well, I heard from a friend who, who has a friend whose second cousin heard that someone once said that, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, once you get to that point, I mean, how do you even know that if what they said is true? That's, that's, that's not what we're talking about here we're saying is, he's saying, I, we were eyewitnesses to actually what happened. It's, it's like playing that, the kids game, the telephone game. You ever played that game where you start off with one person, you say, hey, let me give you a sentence, and I want to, a statement, I want you to pass that on. So it's like if we started down over here um, with the teenagers over here, like my daughter's close to the end over there, so hands hey, right there. And if I, just, if I just whispered into her ear and said, I want you to pass this on, I said, hey, um, Oklahoma State would beat OU in a football game. One on one, okay, and I, and I and I said that, and so I said, "Hey, I want you to pass it on." So, so Hannah starts passing that on. What's going to happen to that statement by the time it gets down here to down to the back, right? What's going to happen? Totally different, you know, because some of you guys are be like, "Nah, I'm not saying that," you know, and uh, you're going to switch it, you're going to change it. Who knows what would be said um, towards the end? But what John is saying is saying, "No, no, we're not playing that game. We were actually there." So let me, let's let's look at this a little bit. What did they hear? What did they see and what did they experience? Well, Jesus said, He said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And he taught them, and they heard his teachings. Like, think about this. They heard, they heard him talk about how to treat other people. Okay? How to interact with people. They, he, he taught them about love and what true love looks like. They, he talked about truth and, and made some really bold statements about what is actually true. And said that, hey, there is no other way to get to heaven. There's no other salvation but through me. And he, those are the things that he taught. And they wrote those things down. But then they also got to see him back up his truth statements with his actions. Think about this. Jesus, Seeing Jesus' character, Right? These eyewitnesses got to see his character and his, his integrity and his perfection and sinless life. But they also got to see his boldness and his willingness. It was kind of crazy that he would, he would man, call to the carpet these religious leaders for their hypocrisy. They got to see all those things. But they also got to see even some incredible things like all of his miracles. The Gospels, we believe, have 37 distinct miracles recorded in them. Now, we believe that there was way more miracles that Jesus performed, but there's 37 that are recorded. And they got to see those miracles. So they hear his, his statements and they're like, is that actually true? Can we believe that? That is crazy. This changes everything. And then all of a sudden he backs up what he's saying with all of these incredible miracles that only God could do. And they saw him heal the sick. They saw him cast out demons. They saw him raise people from, from the dead. And he literally sacrificed himself willingly and died on the cross. This is not an idea. This was something they actually saw. And they got to witness him come out of the grave. And he walked with them, which is crazy. He ate with them. He he drank with them. The Bible says he even built a fire at one time. Like a ghost doesn't build a fire, guys. Built a fire and they, they came and sat with him. They truly lived with Jesus after the resurrection. I think sight is really important, isn't it? Especially when it comes to eyewitness testimony. It's why we love videos in our culture. I mean, you could have an eyewitness, st- get on the, the, the witness stand and, and tell you exactly what happened. But man, if you've, got eye, if you've got actual video evidence, it's way different, right? We love the idea of being able to actually see and experience those things, And that's what people did. And there, were, there weren't just 12 people, guys. There weren't just 12 people that got together at, at, after Jesus' resurrection and said, hey, let's make this up. We're the only ones that saw. There were so many people that got to experience Jesus. The Bible says that there were actually 120 people in the upper room. After Jesus' resurrection and he appears to his followers, it wasn't just 12 dudes and some ladies. It was 120 people packed in a room together, and all of a sudden Jesus appears with them. The Bible says that during those 40 days that he was on this earth before he resurrected, um, before he went up into heaven, there was 500 people that actually got to see him and walk with him and experience him. And his disciples saw him go up into heaven. The Bible records this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul was not an eyewitness. He says, hey, you all have talked to these people. I've talked to those people. Let me just write this down, okay? so that we all can agree that this is what people are saying about what happened. He says this, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me, that Christ died for our sins just as the scripture said. Here's the gospel, okay? He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day just as the scripture said. And he was seen by Peter and then by the 12. And after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. And then he says something that changes everything. He says this, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. said, hey, don't just take my word for it. Go and ask those people. And if, if what I'm saying is false, they'll tell you and they'll correct you. They'll correct me. He says this, then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. And I love how he ends this. He says, last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. What he's saying is that, hey, I didn't get to experience Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I wasn't there for that. I was actually persecuting Christians during that time, Okay. But Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, appeared to me on the road. And I got to witness and I got to see him. Jesus was a physical reality to them. It's like the difference between online dating and real dating, okay? If you're online dating, it's like, I hope that person is who they say they are, and kind of their picture matches real life, and their personality matches what they're saying. You know, do they laugh weird? Like, do they snort? Like, what's going on? You don't really know until you actually have that that real date, okay? And sometimes you hope it's the same thing, but a lot of times it's completely different. But think about this. The disciples, these followers, hundreds and hundreds of people, they met with him. They looked into Jesus' eyes. How would your life be changed if you actually looked in Jesus' eyes? They walked where he walked, they ate with him, they attended parties together. They probably heard him snore once or twice. Let me just be real. There's probably times where they're walking down the road following Jesus from town to town. He's like, hey, guys, time out, pit stop time, a bathroom break, okay? Jesus had to go do that. He was a real person. He wasn't a ghost floating around. He wasn't an idea of these guys just walking around without, without him and making it up at the end. He was physically there and connected with them. Think about this. Jesus touched that leper when no one else would touch him. He grabbed Peter's mother-in-law's hand when she was sick and healed her. He put his fingers in the the deaf man's ears. He put his hands over the eyes of the blind man. When that dead girl was raised to life, he physically helped her get up. When Peter was drowning in the water after he he had little faith, he went down and picked up Peter by by his wrist. Think about this, Jesus, he got down on this dirty, dusty floor and washed all the disciples' feet. He physically touched them. You know what, people actually pursued Jesus and they were able to actually physically touch him. He wasn't a ghost, he wasn't this made up thing. Think about this, The, the prostitute who should not have been in the room, guys. Jesus allowed her in the room and she in total humility and brokenness Washes his feet with her tears and hair. When that sick woman was in the crowd, she had so much faith that she just touched his clothes and he could feel the power going out of him. Little kids ran to him. Thomas, who was doubting still at the very end, he got to, guys, I'm so jealous of Thomas. He got to put his fingers in Jesus' hands where the the nails were. And touch his side where the wound was. That's crazy. What John is saying is that Jesus is a historical reality. You know what? The world kind of doesn't care. The world's like, okay, he's a historical reality. That's fine. But the world isn't finished accusing Christianity of being fake. Here's actually the next, the next uh, accusation that I, that I think Christ, that the world uh, makes against Christianity. And it's this. That, okay, the Jesus of history, he eventually became the Christ of Christianity. Let me say that again. The Jesus of history eventually became the Christ of Christianity. That's the accusation the world puts on Christianity. What they're saying is that, yes, okay, all right. Jesus, he was a historical figure. He was really a man. He walked with people. You know, he did all those things. He he was a preacher. He was a rabbi. He was a good guy. But you know what? He never really claimed To be God. And he never really did all of those miracles. All that stuff was actually added later. You had these myths and these fables that were attached to this real guy, and eventually they they made their way into into the record. In fact, a lot of people believe that there was probably this earlier document that um, recorded. Jesus' real life, and it's actually been lost to history, and they took that original document, and over time, they added things like his virgin birth and his resurrection, and you can't prove otherwise. You know what this is called? It's called, it's called the chain of custody, and here in, in our modern society, this is what, what attorneys will, will use, like defense attorney will use that, this tactic to, to try to get their defendant um, um, out, out of jail, okay, and so the way it goes is this, like, okay, the defense attorney gets up, gets up and says, hey, these cops, they're all dirty. They're all crooked. You've seen this the show, right? They're all they're all dirty. They're all crooked. They tampered with the evidence. They took that person's DNA out of evidence, and they they put it at the scene. They moved the murder weapon to to fit their to fit their narrative, and they they planted drugs there, and they wrote up these false statements. And so, when it finally goes to trial years later, and the crime scene is all cleaned up, some of those cops have are either retired or they've they've passed away, and the evidence has been some of the evidence has been destroyed. The question is, who do you believe? Do you believe this, the evidence that is being accused of being made up, or do you believe this defense attorney? How do you prove what the detectives claim to have happened actually happened? How do you prove that? Well, here's how you do it. You ask this. Were the authorities actually there at the crime scene? did they actually take real evidence from that crime scene? And did they get original eyewitness statements from people? And do these accounts match together? And did that that cop that was at at the scene, his statement, does it match up with the detective's claims a little bit later on? And then when the evidence goes to to the crime scene lab, does the crime scene crime scene's lab, does it match up with those other statements? You know what that's called? It's called a chain of custody. And a defense lawyer, what they will do is they will ask this. Was there ever a break in that chain? Is there ever a gap we can't account for? Is there ever a time where, where that that something changed in, in, in those statements, in the evidence? And what they'll say is if we can prove that there was a gap, then all this is fake. All that evidence is nonsense. It all needs to be thrown out. It was tampered with. That, that would, they, that's what they would claim. It was altered in some way. And that's what people claim about Christianity. That, hey, Jesus was a historical guy. But he was not really who the Bible says he was. And you can't prove it. Here's, here's John's defense. It's verse 2. Look at verse 2. Look what he says. He gives these two claims. Here's what he says in verse 2. He says, This one who is life itself was revealed to us, and we have seen him. We have seen him. And, And now we testify and claim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. He was with the Father and then he was revealed to us. What John is saying is that, look, That argument doesn't fly. There's no break in in the chain of custody of the evidence. And he gives these two claims. I want us to look at these two claims from this this verse. This first claim is this, that that we are apostles. This is a a claim that he was making right there. He says, hey, we have seen him. We are apostles. Well, to be an apostle, what does it mean? To be an apostle, does it mean you're just a leader of the church? To be an apostle, you actually had to be an eyewitness, of Jesus that's why there are no true apostles anymore today okay no one is alive back then all the disciples all of a sudden now they're called apostles meaning they were they're messengers they were eyewitness messengers and Paul could actually be called an apostle to the Gentiles why because he saw the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus what these apostles are saying is that we were there We've seen him. We heard his teachings. We saw what he did. We saw, saw his miracles. And we've, we got to experience the gospels firsthand. So he says, hey, we were there. We are the eyewitness, eyewitnesses. We are the apostles. And this is the second claim we see in this, this passage that, hey, since we are apostles, we were the first ones that saw what happened. Look, the message hasn't changed. Like, this is not us saying one thing and then 150 years later, which some people claim, 150 years later, 200 years later, that people that were not there, they, they changed up what Christianity is. He's saying that's not, that's not what has happened. What, is, what has happened is the message has not changed. There's, there's no break in the, the chain of custody of the evidence. There's, no, 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 there's been no time for that to happen because at the very beginning, what does he call Jesus? He calls Jesus eternal life. He doesn't call him, hey, he was a good guy. And then way later, Christianity has changed, theology has changed to where, oh, now he's actually God. No, the very people who saw him, experienced him, they said, he is God, guys. We can't explain it. It is crazy, but he is eternal life. And that's been the message from the beginning, hadn't it? From the very beginning, the people who actually saw Jesus said, he is eternal life. He's not just a good guy. He's not just a great teacher. He's not just a historical figure. He is God. And look, guys, if that's true, that changes everything, right? That validates everything that he has said. And it means that he is greater than you and I could ever imagine. John says he is eternal life. He is life itself. What he's saying is, hey, Jesus was, he is, and he will always be. Now, let's just get real practical here this, this morning. <laughs> if this is a grand conspiracy, the message should have changed. It should not be what we read. I mean, think about this. It's a pretty terrible story for the writers, isn't it? I mean, for the ones who, who wrote down the Gospels, the ones who, who wrote down these, these letters, it's a terrible witness of themselves. These eyewitnesses screwed up all the time. I mean, Peter was a giant screw-up. And he looks at Mark, and Mark says, what happened? He says, I screwed up. I messed up. I'm an idiot. And Mark says, all right, <laughs> write it down. You go and read Mark, you'll see that, that, that Peter messed up. Paul writes throughout his letters, I am the worst of the worst. I killed Christians. I should not be where I'm at but the grace of God. He's changed my life. And the only way that my life would change from a Pharisee who was a popular guy, who had his whole life in front of him, who was killing Christians, is that I actually saw Jesus firsthand. And it changed my life. If this is all a grand conspiracy... They would have wrote something different. What they wrote wasn't flattering to them, to other people. There were hard truths in that. They got them in big trouble. Here's probably the biggest one, guys. For all the ladies in the room, your testimony counts today, right? If if you get called to the witness stand, you get up there, you put your hand in the Bible, your testimony counts. In first century, nobody cared what you said. And I hate that. It's not the way it should be, but that is the truth. And guess what? God says, I don't care about that. The first people they're gonna see the resurrected Jesus are women. They're the first eyewitnesses. If you were making this up, that's not what you would do. That's not what you would do. You would put some prominent men, be like, oh, I saw Jesus, and my, my credibility, you know, show. like, no, that's, that's not what happened. They allowed, God allowed women to be the first eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. If you were making that up, this is all a big conspiracy. You wouldn't put that in it. You see, their claims didn't make them famous. It made them fugitives, right? It didn't make them popular. It actually put them in prison. It didn't, it didn't bring them devoted followers. It actually brought death upon them. Those claims brought death. Now, here's the deal. Let me, let me, sidebar here. Being willing to die for something does not mean that it's true, okay? People die for things they believe in all the time. You look at what's going on in Israel today. People are dying for their beliefs. And there are two opposing beliefs. Okay, they both can't be true. But people are dying for those things. People die for their beliefs all the time. But here's the deal. If you're making something up and you are the eyewitness, you don't die for that. Why? Because you know that's not true. Because you made it up. And these eyewitnesses were willing to die for what they believed. John is telling us something this morning. Telling us this, that you need to hear the truth. And it's true not because some preacher gets up on the stage and says it's true. I mean, guys, I'm a nobody, okay? Don't, don't listen. Don't take what I, I say. Like, look at, look at what Scripture has to say. Make, make that your truth. It's not true just because I say something. It's not true but just because you've, you were taught it in Sunday school when you were little. Or you were born into a Christian family, that's all you've ever known. It's true because the evidence is overwhelming. And we live in a culture that says, prove it to me. Show me the evidence. And I'm saying it's right here. The evidence is true. And so for believers in this room, you say, hey, I'm a believer. Clayton, that's awesome. It's good you know, information for me today. Well, I, wanna, I hope that today this is strong confidence that is put into your beliefs. That you have a stronger confidence in the one who you have trusted in. That you don't just look at Jesus as this historical figure, this guy that, you know, the Bible says is true. My my parents have said this is what is true and so I'm going to believe it. But instead you're like, you know what? Man, the evidence proves that Jesus is who he really says he is. And I think we all need that because there's going to come a day or the day has actually come in your life where you're going to be in a tough spot in your faith. And there will be this little thing that goes on in your conscience that says this, where is God? Where are you, God? You get that cancer diagnosis and you're like, are you kidding me, God? Why would you do that to me? Someone you love passes away and you're like, God, I thought you were for me. The Bible says if, if you're for me, who can be against me, right? Like nothing bad could ever happen in, in my life. And if it does... Man, I have a little bit of doubt that creeps in. Over some of you, this is my story. I was saved when I was ten years old. I was into GI Joes and cartoons, and I put my faith in Jesus. Guys, I don't trust the ten-year-old at all. Why would I trust the ten-year-old version of me? Am I really saved? Is this really true? And you put your faith in Jesus at a young age, and life is all great until it's not. And you ask, God, where are you? And you feel bad about even asking that, right? And so God doesn't want you just to just take a, a leap of faith out into the dark. He gives us great evidence. That you know what, Clayton? That faith you had as a 10-year-old was just like a little mustard seed. The Bible says that. It's a little mustard seed. And I believed and trusted in Jesus to save me from my sins. And that faith has grown. And now as an adult, I can look at it and say, oh, man, you know what? It is true. Not just because my Sunday school teacher told me that, but because, man, the evidence is overwhelming. If we put Christianity on trial, I believe we would come to the conclusion, the jury would say, the evidence is overwhelming. And I pray that this is strong confidence for you. That when you find yourself in that season, you can step back and say, man, I don't understand what's going on right now, but I can trust. I can trust and believe. In fact, the Bible, Paul says this back in 1 Corinthians 15. He says this, if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. And what it's saying is, look, if the Bible is not true, if Jesus really didn't rise from the grave, if all this is made up and fake, what in the world are we doing? Like, let's sell the chairs, all the sound equipment, let's go do something else. That's literally what he's saying. And he's saying even worse than that that you are without hope. Your life is meaningless and that should be a scary place for you. He's saying, look, I think we can look at this backwards. He's saying, look, if Christ has truly been raised from the grave, then your faith is true and you're not dead in your sins. That's a totally different statement, isn't it? It's strong confidence for us now John is about to get off the witness stand this week. He's an old guy, he's, needs a bathroom break. He'll be back on it next week. But he's not done. He's got, he's got a, two more verses, and let me, let me just sum up, sum up them real quick. Verses 3 and 4, here's what he says. He says, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. Some, some, he's summing up what he's been talking about. Why? Why have they proclaimed what they have actually seen and heard? He says this, so that you may have fellowship with us. And you know what? Our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that you may fully share our joy. Our joy. So for the skeptic or the doubter, the one is wondering is is this true this evidence is overwhelming not so that you will just have a belief in something it's overwhelming so that you can have a relationship with god the bible calls this this fellowship or this koinonia it's greek for a participating relationship. It's not just one-sided. It is a, it's the best relationship you've ever had. And all this evidence has a purpose. And it's so that you believe in Jesus, that you believe in this message, that it's actually true. And so you can have a relationship with God because he loves you. And when you put your faith in Jesus, when you say, you know what, I'm not going to trust in myself to save me from my sins. I'm going to trust in Jesus who died on the cross. I want this relationship with God. When you put your faith in him, it also says, and John says, you know what, you get a relationship with other people. You get the church. You get fellowship with us. And at the end of the day, all these things, all this evidence, all this relationship stuff, what is the result? He says it at the end, so you can have joy. You can have joy. Jesus is wonderful. And he's real. He's real. He can save you. He can change your life if you trust him. God gives us this evidence for a reason. I pray that you would trust in him. In fact, let me pray for you right now. God, I just pray for everyone in the room. I pray for everyone watching online right now. I don't know where people are at, but I know that there are Christians in this room who have doubts. The little seed of doubt is in their heart because of life situation, things that they've heard, what our culture continually bombards us, saying, hey, this is all fake. The thing that you trusted in as a kid, it's all fake. I pray that today, God, you have strengthened their faith not because of something i've said up here but because of the evidence that is found in your word god thank you that you know us you know our minds and how we how we need that evidence we're rational people rational beings you made us in your image and so you give us this evidence so that we can trust in what we believe jesus is real and that's awesome he's real not just because we say it because the evidence is overwhelming. And I pray, Lord, for anyone hearing this message today who does not have faith in you because of what the world has said. And I pray, God, that today that they would trust the evidence and put their faith in Jesus, the Savior of the world, who wants to change their heart, who wants to wash them clean, give them eternal life. Help us, God, to respond this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. We are super glad that you decided to join us today. And if you watch us every week, we're so glad that you join us. And if you're watching right now for the very first time, um, we want to just say, welcome to the family. We're so glad that you're here. Um, If you're someone who during the message, you thought, you know what? I want to know more about Christ. I want to give my life to Jesus. And I I want to know what it means to be forgiven. Uh, We want to connect with you. So if you could text forgiven to 94,000, And that way, one of our ministers can reach out to you and you can begin that conversation of knowing how God can change your life. Um, Here at Central, we truly do believe that Jesus changes everything. See you guys later.